to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to COVID, business continuity, resilience, emergency management, cybersecurity, anything that can help you, your organization, or your community prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm the only Alex Fullick there. I'm really easy to find, and I do respond to everything I get. A couple of quick announcements. Uh, November 2nd and 3rd, I will be in London, England, with speaking at the BCI World Conference, co-presenting, I should say, with Margaret Millett at a keynote and raising the bar for resilience and executives. Really looking forward to that. And then a couple of weeks later, I will be at the Continuity and Resilience Today conference. We will be broadcasting live with James Green, who many of you will know from the show, mm-hmm. our, we, our monthly show of This Week in Business Continuity. And that is also the place that I will get to see today's guest in person for the first time in, what, three years, I guess, almost three years? I think, yeah, I yeah. think it definitely is three years. <clears throat> yep. I'd like to welcome to the show, Regina Phelps. Regina, welcome back. Alex, oh my gosh, what a treat. It's been a month. <laughs> I, <Yeah. laughs> I, yep. I, and I look forward to this every month. But at least in a couple of weeks, we'll, we'll see each other face-to-face. That'll be nice. It's going to be way fun. Yeah, way real fun. person. You are real. You're not just a picture on my screen anymore. <laughs> yeah, right, great, great. Well, um, we made it through only one month where we didn't talk about infectious diseases. And that's in th- almost three years, right? Yeah, because um, we are in about 30th episode or 30th month of you and I talking. Wow. And we only made it through one where we didn't have to talk about COVID and other diseases, and that was last month. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, looks like we're going to be talking about that today. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, there is a lot going on in the infectious disease uh, aspects of the world, uh, not just here in the United States, but all over the world. And I thought it was good that we might talk about kind of what to think about for the fall and winter, which, of course, historically has been a time of great respiratory illness in general before the pandemic, not just with adults, with kids as well. And we are off to a ripping start here in North America uh, in this, both our flu season and our um, RSV season. So I want to spend time initially talking about the real big problem we're having right now, also in Canada, I saw as well, which is diseases that are affecting kids in particular. RSV is the name of the virus, and I'll talk about that. And then we'll dig into influenza, both in birds and humans. And of course, then we'll talk about covid and what to be thinking about, and the new list of big list of subvariants, uh, whose whose initials are just going to challenge every one of us because they're so different. 
because mm. they are subvariants of Omicron. So it's not BA something something. It's XBB and BQ and all of that. And then we'll talk, begin to talk a little bit about long, uh, what the uh, long term impacts of the pandemic are. And we'll kind of leave it at that. So as always, I'm going to show my deck of slides here and we'll get started. And as always, Alex, I want you to give me your perspective from Canada because uh, it's really important to hear what you're thinking about and seeing up there. So this is a completely disgusting slide selected <laughs> for a reason. <laughs> it <laughs> is. For, it is. For those on Voice America, it's a picture of someone coughing and you can see all the vapor drops. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> disgusting, right? I remember the first time I really started seeing these, and this was actually in... Um, the first buildup to the first uh, avian flu crisis that I really remember, which started in about 2003, and they would just mm -hmm. have all of these images of this sneezing, coughing, spewing, but it's a really great reminder that respiratory illnesses are coming from either droplets you can see, as you see in this individual, but also something called aerosols, which are very, very small particles that you can't see, but remain floating in the air for up to hours. And that's kind of an important thing to keep in your mind as I talk through all the things I'm going to talk about this month. So uh, the question is really what to expect in this fall and winter. And I do have a lot to give you to think about. And I'm going to focus on uh, three things. I'll talk about RSV, which is uh, uh, primarily thought of as a childhood disease, but also affects older people severely. I'll talk about influenza, both uh, avian and human. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll talk about SARS-CoV-2. Um, and then I want to talk at the end about really what the impacts of the pandemic are globally. And the things that are now really starting to sink in are kind of getting baked in, if you will, to societies around the world. And it's really what I'm calling the, the long tail of COVID. And today, what I'll talk about at the end of our session is really talking about the issue related to the impact of healthcare systems and why that is such a big deal. So, you know, what do, what do, what do, what's the crystal ball have for this um, fall and winter? Now, I'm not uh, going to be projecting, you know, what I believe is going to happen, and you should be really counting this. I have really pulled together comments from many, many healthcare professionals who I follow, both physicians and epidemiologists, and overwhelmingly, they will all tell you, if they're really being honest, that they actually really don't know. There is no thing that's baked in in, in, in stone that's going to actually happen that anybody can point to. We can all, with hindsight, say that after it's over. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I want to just give you an overview about what you should be thinking about so that you're not flat-footed. And this is really not only just for uh, you in your business world as a continuity professional, but also from a perspective of your personal life and your family. Because, you know, everybody, at least in America, I don't know about in your parts of the world, are all planning on big holidays and everybody's going traveling. And and that's what you hear is that not like there's going to be an issue that we're going to have to be thinking about people's health, but it's that we are having the first big holiday after now that COVID is over. Are you? Do you get that sense in Canada? Yes, most definitely. And I'll admit I'm a little bit a part of that as well mm -hmm. because I'm going home for Christmas right. uh, this year. Good for you. Um, so, uh, and, you know, I already mentioned I'm going to be in the UK right. in a week. Right, right. So, um, I am a part of that myself, and I know others that are doing it, too. Mm -hmm. 
And I guess what my point, my point of my conversation is to say that that I think is perfectly fine and that people, what they need to be thinking about always is their personal risk tolerance. And as I talk through all the things we'll talk about today, you also need to think about what you're really willing to do and not do. And that's always a trade-off. And certainly if you're under the age of 50, your chances of having a serious outcome are a lot less. It's only really when you're above 50. And then as you get older and older, every time you go through another decade, then of course, then your chances of having a bad outcome increase regardless of what the illness is. But I think it's important that we just reflect that um, nobody can tell you what's going to happen, but my goal is to give you kind of an idea of what could happen. So I'm going to start with a, a, a virus that's called RSV. Uh, and uh, this is really a critical virus for children in particular and also older adults. Now we in the United States are already seeing astronomical numbers of RSV. And I don't, I did some, I didn't do any searching for Canada. So I don't know if you're seeing that, but here in the United States, there already are many of the children's hospitals have already started to set up field hospitals in the parking lot because it has gotten so bad already. And this is um, a very common illness in children and also in older adults. And are you are you very commonly might get RSV several times uh, in your adult life and you, it's just a typical cold, but for many small kids and for people with a lot of health issues that are older, it can actually be uh, life-threatening. But the fact that they're already establishing field hospitals in some of the big cities and the big um, uh, ch children's hospitals I find is pretty stunning. So RSV is actually, as I mentioned, is very common. It's mild in most people. Most people recover in a week or two, but it can be super serious for infants, anybody under the age of two, and anybody who's older. It is almost a guarantee anywhere in the world that you are, that by the time you're two years old, you've at least had one RSV infection. It's so common. And now the kids are, again, going to schools, they're not wearing masks, and they haven't had much exposure to these viruses for the last two years. That's why it's expected that this will be a brutal uh, season for children and older folks. The season usually starts in November. Here in, in October, the month of October in the United States, it has been already off the charts and only expected to get worse. Now, what it does is it causes an inflammation in the lung, but not in the bronchial, which is right here in the center, you know, your bronchus that comes down mm -hmm. from your throat and then, and then you br it breaks off into the lungs. This is actually in the little tiny bronch bronchioles that actually um, bronchi causes bronchitis, which is this inflammation of these really small airways, which is why it can be so difficult for young kids and older adults, because they have a harder time breathing and getting good air exchange. And that's really a, a big deal. And this is a really good diagram that shows you what the problem is, is that the bronchial, bronchial area becomes inflamed, but what is really inflamed are the bronchioles. And they actually get really congested, and it's very difficult for them to have adequate air exchange. And so that's a big deal in kids. Now, this particular problem is worse for people with chronic health issues. So again, as I mentioned, older adults, again, go through the list of the usual things. So if you have lung disease or people that have had congestive heart failure or heart-related issues, it can be a big concern. Uh, and the bad news is there's no vaccine for this. It changes a lot. And now there's a lot of interest in trying to make a vaccine. And it's been tried 
for many, many years, very likely I would expect an mRNA vaccine will come out. But this is actually a really big deal. Are you seeing this at all in the media in Canada? I have heard of it up here. um, And unfortunately, I'm not seeing a lot of reporting on it yet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But I have heard about it up here. And I do know a lot of a lot of my neighbors have little kids, mm. and a lot of them have been suddenly getting sick. And mm. somebody did mention that, and I think uh, they used the fancy name for <laughs> RSV, which is probably why it went over my head at the time. Right. But um, they think they had this as oh. well. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, I know it is impacting, and I know a lot of other kids who have had colds recently as well. Mm-hmm. So they may have had some sort of uh, a degree to the uh, of this mm-hmm. um, well especially for i'm sorry go ahead so i'm just gonna say but it hasn't seemed to have hit the big headlines yet mm-hmm. but i think it's heading towards it mm-hmm. yeah i think you know, when you have children of course and you're the adult and the caretaker you know kids are you know you want to comfort them you're holding them you know i mean you're just you, the chances of you not getting sick is pretty slim right so it's very common for parents and especially new parents that once their kid starts relating with other children, then it's, you know, diseases one after another, because they're, of course, the kid gets sick because they haven't had that exposure in their immune system. And they, of course, infect a parent really quickly. Um, the reason it's really a big deal in kids is because their airways, of course, are so small, right? And so once they get inflamed and they have a very difficult breath- time breathing, it's really a problem. So, so RSV is a big challenge for infants and young children that's under the age of two. Uh, there's about 58,000 infections every year on an average basis and, um, uh, excuse me, 58,000 hospitalizations. That's a lot of kids. Uh, and that they already believe we will far exceed that this year in the United States. So either infants that are premature, uh, infants that are, again, under the age of six, any infant that has any kind of lung condition in particular or some sort of congenital heart disease, uh, kids with weakened immune systems, which could be from a um, congenital disease, but also from things like cancer treatments, and then those folks that have any kind of neuromuscular disorder. So it's really a a big concern for parents, and something that I'm sure that um, many of our listeners are concerned about with their kids. But it's not just them; it's older folks. And this is going to sound a little bit, in some ways, like COVID, right? Where mm-hmm. it's the middle age group are the ones that have uh, a, usually a milder illness. Thank goodness there's not such a thing as long RSV like there is long COVID. <laughs> but for those, it's very, very similar. So RSV infections are really problematic for older adults. There's about 177,000 people here in the U.S. that are hospitalized every year who are older with RSV. And about 14,000 of them die. So it's a, a big deal. And again, it's over 65 weakened immune systems, uh, chronic heart or lung diseases. And the problem is it can lead to pneumonia and congestive heart failure. Um, And it's also more problematic for people with asthma and for people with COPD. And I never used to think much Mm. about that, but I was diagnosed with asthma in my early 60s. And now every time I see something like that, I go like, ooh, oh, no. Yeah. And my mom has COPD. Oh, does she? Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'll be watching out for that and talking to her soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And and so that, you know, gets to the question about how to protect yourself. And this is going to sound very much like COVID, right? Because remember, it's a respiratory illness. So when you're talking to your mom, right, it's going to be, it's how is it transmitted? Just think of that slide I showed at the very beginning, which with all of that spraying coming out of somebody's mouth, it's both big droplets, but also the aerosols, right? 
Uh, it's also spread, not you know, COVID is not spread this way. It's spread by fomites. So you cough into your hand, you touch the doorknob, you're walking right behind me, you touch the doorknob, then you scratch your nose, and then you're helping to introduce that virus into your respiratory system. So where COVID, we weren't concerned. Initially, we were concerned about what I called you know, uh, cleaning theatrics, right? Where we cleaned mm. everything to death. Um, but this is an issue with RSV and influenza. Is it spread by fomites, which is objects, as well as uh, droplets and aerosol transmission? And then also direct contact. So again, if you're holding the face, you know, holding a sick child and you're kissing them on their on their chin or their face, that's going to be a really good opportunity for you to become sick. And of course, you're going to continue to do that, of course, but it just means that you have to just be aware that that's going to be a potential infection source for you if you're a parent. So all the things that you do to protect yourself from RSV is hand washing. Remember this all from COVID, 20 seconds, cleaning objects, which again, we didn't have to do after we figured out the science for COVID, and then also avoiding close contact. Not possible, I understand completely if you're a parent, but something that you want to keep in the back of your mind. So all those uh, cleaning wipes that maybe you bought or spray solutions, you can bring them back this winter because it will be helpful not only for RSV, but also for influenza. So keep Good, that I, I still have lots of hand sanitizer. I do too. I have tons <laughs> of hand sanitizer. I've got still boxes of masks, but I'm still wearing them here. Me too. And... Um, <clears throat> I've got uh, lots of, uh, you know, wipes, all kinds of wipes. So that gets to the next one, which is. Let's take a break before we jump into avian influenza. All right. We're talking with Regina Phelps today, and we will be right back. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Bullock. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullick. 
Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's info at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. We are talking with Regina Phelps once again. Uh, Regina, lots of information there about RSV, and now we get to talk about avian influenza. We do indeed. You know, this is so funny. I'm having a big deja vu moment. I first got initially very interested in pandemics and pandemic planning by speaking at the World Conference on Disaster Management in Toronto in 1997. I was in the audience. I remember that. Ah, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I actually started all of this work in influenza in the late 90s, um, and it was all based on the fact that there was this huge outbreak of avian influenza that was really rolling around Asia. And so this is just a deja vu moment. Uh, we are really having a really significant outbreak of avian influenza worldwide. And you may say, well, who cares, Regina, because it's only affecting birds, It's like, well, yes, I'm a bird watcher and it makes me sad, but I want to say to you that avian influenza is actually a huge potential impact to humans because it's one of those diseases that can jump without much effort into a human. And then if it mutates at all in the recipient of that new disease, and it actually mutates and becomes able to be transmitted from one human to the next, then we have a potential pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, already this morning, I was uh, following uh, this particular uh, issue uh, on a on a site that I follow every day. I actually get an email of every awful disease in the world sent to me, and I might have talked about it before with your our listeners. But there's a site called Pro P R O Med M E D Mail M A I L, like sending a letter dot org, and it's an infectious disease site that's actually managed by Harvard. And they actually produce amazing information every day on diseases all over the world. And as a planner, a continuity planner professional, you might say, well, I never used to really think much about diseases, but what I wanna say to you is that we are a global community. And as we learned from COVID, if you didn't know already, whatever starts one place doesn't mean it's going to stay there. And so it's important that you, everybody have some sense just in the background, what might be going on. Uh, avian flu is a big deal right now, globally. And I also want to say is that, that what I mentioned, what I why I mentioned ProMed Mail this morning is that they had a post about a mink farm in the uh, Netherlands that actually was infected with avian influenza because, again, it's one of those things that a, probably a wild bird who was ill uh, was in a farm area uh, where these minks were being farmed and sure enough got ill and now it's spreading throughout this 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 population of minks that will have to be exterminated. And then where there's a chance for transmission to a human is where culling occurs, either birds or things like minks. And if they don't have the right protective equipment on, they can inhale that virus into their lungs and there's an opportunity for that person to become sick, which has happened already. And then it may mutate, which then it could cause a pandemic. So that's why this is actually a big deal. Uh, The avian outbreak that we're having right now is one of the most significant we've had uh, in many years. This is a new uh, form of a virus uh, and actually infects not only wild birds, but domestic poultry. So chickens, think of eggs, think of if if you eat chicken 
or turkeys. They're forecasting that there will not be many Thanksgiving turkeys here in November in the United States because of this outbreak and the culling in domestic flocks. And you just had your Thanksgiving, and my Canadian colleagues have said that turkeys were hard to find and expensive. Is that Was that your experience? That was very true. The freezers were half full, if that. And a lot of times you saw the price of what was available and decided to make a roast or a ham. Yep. Exactly right, right? Yeah, it's 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 actually really a big deal. So when you look at, you know, of course, there's so much conversation about inflation and the cost of food and everything right now. And everybody may blame their political leaders, but I would like to say to everybody, it's really driven by several major things. The Ukraine war, COVID, and things like the avian flu, which is why birds are not available domestically in stores and why eggs are so expensive, etc. There's just a lot of things all convening at the same time, making it very difficult. So these cullings have been going on, not just in the United States, but in Canada and other parts of the world. Uh, It's been killing millions of domesticated birds. Uh, There's been bans on exports and imports. There's less eggs being produced, less turkeys and less chickens overall. And this is the largest outbreak since 2015, of which 50 million birds in the US were infected. And already there's been 47.6 million birds infected in the U.S. So it's and it's in 42 states. Uh, it's spread primarily by wild birds moving through a community and in migration. Uh, and just by um, their presence in the community uh, when they're, you know, possibly mixing with domesticated birds or actually uh, just even being in a field next to a domesticated bird flock <clears throat> is enough to actually infect that flock. So it's a big deal. That, that's a good point you just made, because the time of year we are right now. Migration. Um, yeah, migration is occurring right mm-hmm. now. So that's an interesting point. Yeah, and, and so this means that it moves everywhere, right? So when yeah. this really started in the spring, it was all the birds sort of moving through, and then they got to their their summering grounds. Now they're coming back. They're, becoming, they're, they're infected or becoming infected, and they're infecting other birds along the way. And that's how it works. Uh, the way this is spread is that these infected birds will shed this flu through their saliva, their mucus, and their feces. And then if it gets into a human, so think of somebody that's a farm worker or something like that. They pick up a bird. Uh, maybe they have a mask on, maybe they don't, but then they then scratch their nose or something like that. And that's how you can have this transmission between species. Uh, this particular slide slowly shows you uh, of, of the human transmissions that have occurred so far, going way back actually to the late 90s. There's only been a few so far in the United States, one in Colorado. There was another suspected one actually in uh, Minnesota, not confirmed yet. Uh, there was a death just yesterday, um, uh, excuse me, a, a case in a five-year-old kid in Vietnam reported yesterday who's in serious condition. And again, these are these opportunities where a human gets sick. There's always the potential for this to jump to another person. This is actually an interesting site uh, that you can see. This is on CDC's website, and they actually talk about the human transmission and also the um, amount of disease transmission. And you can see there was a lot in 2015. It's just starting right now. Which that ties to the other part of the influenza story, the one that we're used to very much as humans, and that's human influenza. Um, this year, it is forecasted, this this may sound very familiar to you, <clears throat> this year it is forecasted that we have a really good opportunity to have a twin-demic. 
uh, or what's called florona, if you like that term better. And that's where we're having both a widespread uh, issue related to influenza, but also SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19. Uh, and we are we when we actually develop the flu vaccines and we try and do forecasting for the fall flu season here in North America, we always first of all look to the south to see what's going on or what happened with our uh, southern hemisphere colleagues. And Australia and New Zealand have a very good reporting system, and we look often to them as a headline about what to expect. Now, influenza mutates all the time, and so it changes a lot often by the time it leaves the Southern Hemisphere and moves to the North. But the experience they had in um, Australia and New Zealand was it was a bad, bad flu season. Many more infections, many more deaths. And so what we need to take from that is that we have the possibility of having the same thing happen. And just like RSV, this is, of course, a respiratory illness. We've all had many cases of flu by the time you're, you know, 30, 40, 50 years old. You've had many cases of the flu. And generally, for most people, it is simply a mild, cold-like illness. But for people over the age of 65 and for kids under the age of two, it's a big deal. Uh, and again, that's something to keep in mind. This is going to sound a little bit like RSV as we talk about it, but it's really important to keep that in, in the back of your mind. There are two kinds of flu influenza. There's type A and type B. And these are primarily the flu vac uh, viruses that we see circulating each year. Uh, so, the, you know, the, who's at risk for these particular uh, outbreaks? Uh, individuals who are most risk, as I mentioned earlier, are exactly the same as RSV. So under the age of two over the age of 65, transmission exactly the same. So it's respiratory droplets, also aerosol, and also fomites touching things. So this is where hand washing is really important, good hygiene. And if you have somebody sick in your house, things like cleaning surfaces, even like doorknobs is really good. There are three things that you wanna keep in the back of your mind to protect you and your family safe from influenza. The first is to get your flu shot. The second is all the things that we have learned very well from COVID, which is good respiratory and hand hygiene. So for example, if you're in an area where there's a lot of flu and transmission, and maybe you might be a little bit more susceptible or of having a bad outcome, maybe you're gonna keep a mask on and maybe you would avoid areas where there's lots of people. You would sort of have your COVID hat on in order to protect yourself from the flu. Normally we haven't done that, but because we haven't had much flu in the last few years, people are very concerned that this one may really knock a lot of people out, even those that are young, again, between the ages of two and 65, and not just the young and the old. Hmm. The last, the last thing, <clears throat> sorry, go ahead. I, I was going to say that I've had a few uh, work colleagues in Western Canada who have recently been experiencing uh, the flu mm -hmm. and all the COVID tests, if they can get their hands on anything are saying that, Nope, it's not COVID. It's not COVID. Right. You know, right. it's uh, they don't fall in the parameters of uh, RSV. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so I wouldn't be surprised if they're now being hit with the flu, Yeah, you know, the pro the proper flu and you know, their whole households have been getting sick. Mm-hmm. You know? mm -hmm. And it's much earlier. Again, this is normally an after thanks, uh, usually after um, Halloween and more like around Thanksgiving in America's time frame, um, 
I know you guys are earlier than us. Uh, but it's one that we're seeing more of and we're seeing it faster now. And so this is really an important thing for people to think about. You might have said, okay, you know, I never get the flu shot. It's not a big deal. <laughs> I'm young. But this year could be very different because, again, most people haven't had it in a few years. Your your immune system is less tweaked by being exposed to it. And it could be a, a rough ride, which leads to the issues if you do become sick and if you are any any person who might have a bad outcome, let's say you have asthma or you have other lung conditions or, you know, you don't always do necessarily well. What you might want to be thinking about right away is if you do have the flu and the flu, you know, is one of those things that it's very characteristic by a high temperature and people feel like they were hit by a truck. It's not just where you're sniffling and you got, you know, your nose is running and you have a cough. This is the flu is a very different animal. When you get the flu, it's like, yes, I have the flu. Really severe fatigue, really severe body aches. You'll often have a, a, a spike of a fever. Your lungs are really inflamed. You have a cough. You feel like hell. That's really the flu. And so there is a drug called Tamiflu uh, that's available. That's an antiviral now that we all know what antivirals are. Uh, this is one that can be very helpful uh, if you are ill with the flu uh, and, and you need to start taking it in a timely manner. So once you're really laid out, you need to call your doc and see if you can get Tamiflu if you're concerned about that. Uh, I've taken it before and it, and it often will just really make a huge difference in the, in the length of the illness that you have and how fast you recover. So it'd be something to think about if you're uh, concerned about your outcomes in having the flu. So when are the people with the flu contagious? You know, we had this big debate, of course, as you well recall from COVID. And the problem with COVID is that people were infectious for several days before they became symptomatic. Flu is a little similar, meaning that you usually begin to actually become infectious about a day before you're symptomatic. Um, it's not quite as profound as, as COVID, but, but close. And you can actually be uh, actually infectious, meaning spewing a virus for five to seven days. That's a long time. So I don't know if you remember before the pandemic. Remember people always used to go to work sick? Oh, yeah. I hated, I hated being on the train to go to work because there was always three or four people coughing and hacking away. Right, trying, right. Trying to be the work hero. Uh I hope that's one of the things that we might have learned from COVID is that being sick and going to work or hanging out with a lot of people is really not the smartest thing. I mean, you may feel you're being heroic, but it's not helping anybody and it's making a lot of people sick. And so if you have any symptoms, COVID related, flu related in the course of this winter, please stay home. Please don't go out. Um, you know, just be aware of that, you know, a day before uh, those symptoms uh, came out for COVID and the flu and a little bit longer for COVID, you're going to be infectious. And that goes on for about five to seven days. Uh, and again, that's really a, a big concern uh, um, societally. Symptoms actually um, begin uh, really in that two to four day range. So you're infectious. And then once you start actually getting that uh, disease starting to really take hold, you're going to be able to infect anybody. And that's something that you really want to keep in the back of your mind. Now, one of the things that's important for most people to think about is when should I get my flu shot? Well, let me just share with there's one good thing to keep in mind is that you want to really look at your flu shot around Halloween. There's a reason for that. Uh, many times people will get it much earlier. 
But the problem is it loses efficacy fast, about 10 to 12% a month. And the flu season normally is around at its peak, usually between December and February. That's kind of the usual. So if you get it really early, then that means that you're not going to have that big punch as much as you need it when the winter really rolls in. So generally it's recommended as around Halloween, you know, is a good time to really think about getting your flu shot because of this loss of efficacy. Now, other things that people will always say to me is, okay, Regina, I got the flu shot and I still got the flu. Yes, that happens. I hopefully, hopefully we learned that with COVID. You can be vaccinated and still get the illness. But just like in COVID, when you get vaccinated, what happens is you have protection. Now, you may, you may say that's ridiculous. I still got sick. But you may have gotten much sicker if you didn't have the actual vaccine. So don't say like, oh, you know, why why bother because I still got sick? No, it could have actually saved you from getting much worse. I just want to mention just a couple of other things. I know we're sort of moving into the middle of our segment here. There's a great site, uh, and I would encourage even your Canadian colleagues, I don't know if there's something similar, and maybe you can do a homework and tell me if there is. There's something here in the United States called the CDC Flu Weekly. It's a great site, uh, and this will be, you can put it in the show notes as well for those people that hear us um, uh, by radio versus on YouTube. And what you can see is that every week the CDC tells you what's going on with flu in the United States. They have lots of great details, but I pulled out two of them I thought the listeners would want to see. One is there's a map of the United States that has color indices that show you where flu is really active right now. And the other is actually looking at clinical laboratory tests and you can kind of see what's happening. And what you'll see literally is that you're looking at a flu season that goes from May uh, of 2022 through October 15th of 2022. And what it looks like is a big U. So what you'll see that the flu season was late last year and that it, it really it was quite high still in May, and then it dropped pretty rapidly. No flu or very little flu during the summer is what we would expect. And already it's really ramping up significantly here in the United States. And the map also shows that there are some states in particular that have a lot of flu going on. And they're noted by being red in color. So you look at states like Massachusetts, Texas, um, Tennessee, Georgia, and other parts of the state are really lighting up. So if you're in the southern part of the United States, and I would say also if you're in the north, because if Massachusetts is on fire, it won't take long for everybody else to be up there, mm-hmm. that you want to make sure that you get your flu shot now. If you're more in the west, you might be able to wait till much closer to, to Halloween. But that's something you want to be thinking about, about when to get your flu shot. And on that note, maybe we should stop and then take a break, and then we'll talk about the subvariants. How's that? Sounds good. And I just got my flu shot. Good. <clears throat> I good just timing. got it. So I'm getting my next on, on Wednesday, actually. <laughs> on that note, we've come to the end of our second segment, talking with Regina Phelps today, and we will be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. 
Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Fullick. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at VoiceAmericaTRN. are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullock. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. We're talking with Regina Phelps today. Regina, new subvariants. Oh, Lord, yes. Um... Yes, and I, I I want to talk really about those because I think viewers uh, and listeners are going to be just a little overwhelmed by all the different possibilities that are coming out. And I wanted to start on this particular slide if you're seeing this on YouTube. What you'll see is a, a slide. This is actually from the CDC, and I'll make sure this is uh, Alex gets this. It'll go in the show notes uh, related to the sub variants that are out right now. And so what you'll see is if you look at if you're looking at the slide, you'll see historically here in the United States for the last, you know five, six months, it's been BA5 period. And now the race is going on and it's really between the sub variants of BA5, which is Omicron. So in all of these sub variants, what you're going to see is uh, beginning a race that's happening. And I wanted just to show you that what's the difference between the last week. So you can see is that if you're looking at this particular slide, what you're going to be able to see, and I need to get my glasses on to be able to Make sure that I'm being accurate here. There's a, a subvariant called BA uh, 4.6. That's really been moving along very nicely. It's been really causing a big surge in uh, Europe. But now there are uh, several others that are really making a move. And those are BQ 1.1 as well as BAQ.1. And I'll be talking about those they are much more infectious and also are uh, uh, providing opportunities for what's called immune escape, which means that if you've been sick with COVID before and you haven't gotten a bivalent va- a vaccine booster, it's going to be less effective and uh, your immune system is going to be less effective in fighting this off. I do want to just talk through a, a list of the ones that are actually the, the, the ones that are keeping most people awake at now. Uh, 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 if you will. So B BF.7. So this is where the soup really gets confusing for us. Uh, that's 3.4% of uh, cases in the US. Two weeks ago, it wasn't here at all. So that gives you a sense about, oh, we have a contender here. It's actually mm-hmm. uh, uh, a, a relative of BA.5, which means, again, if you were vaccinated with a bivalent vaccine, it would be very likely very helpful. BQ 1.1 is 7.2. 30 days ago, it wasn't in the United States at all. 
Uh, it's also a relative of BA 2.75.2, which means that the bivalent vaccine will not be as effective for this particular one because it's based on BA4 and BA5. BQ.1 is doing very well. Uh, when I did a presentation a month ago, there was none of it in the United States. It's already up to 9.4%. It's pretty impressive. Wow. Uh, it's extremely immune evasive, and it's a relative of BA 2.75.2. It's forecasted to have high growth. Um, this means also that the bivalent vaccines um, may not be as effective, although there's some fingers crossed in some initial research done on this particular subvariant with the vaccine. NBA 4.6, that's the one that initially everybody thought was going to be the big winner over BA. 0.5. Uh, it's already at 11.3%. So there's going to be a huge race right now going on between all of these subvariants. And some people are beginning to talk about that this is going to be what our future will very likely be. Just imagine, just like with the flu, there's many different iterations slightly of the flu every year. You may not personally know it, you still get sick, but there's all of these different versions. And so that's what's beginning to shape up now with the SARS-CoV-2 virus is that we have these different slices. All they're trying to do is to actually stay alive. Just keep that in the back of your mind. That's their desire is to stay alive. And so there's this race going on right now. But what may happen is that all of them uh, end up having a share of the pie, not like BA point, uh, BA5, which everybody had, if you will, that got mm -hmm. sick. So this is a big shift right now in, in the world of SARS-CoV-2. There's a lot of debate about what's uh, going on right now. This is actually a guy that I follow on Twitter, Moritz Gunsick, and he actually is forecasting a BA.1 wave here in the United States, uh, and that will basically take over BA.5, which is the one that's basically worldwide, what we used to simply call Omicron. Now, uh, B, BQ.1 is a subvariant of that. And as if you're, uh, if you have a chance to see this on a slide, you can see that the forecast that he's got in his model is that this will be the actual variant that will take over the world next, unless there's something else immediately behind it. So not that it makes a big difference for all of us. I mean, there's still a lot of circulating virus out there. Now, because there's so much circulating virus and because there is a lot less testing going on. So here in the United States, PCR tests are really much more difficult to get than they were in the height of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Many people are doing home testing, so you don't have to report that to anybody. So no one knows what's going on. So we're doing a lot more wa wastewater surveillance. And they're starting to actually do this in many communities across the United States. Are you doing wastewater surveillance in Canada at all? There has been, yes. Yes, I have heard that. Uh, I, I wouldn't say it's widespread and everywhere, but it is starting to occur now. That's great. Especially in places like Toronto, Montreal, you know, uh, the big, the big cities. Right. I would expect you'd see it more in the larger urban centers. And if you look at this map of the United States, you'll see that most of these are around larger cities. Uh, and now the CDC is really trying to push out wastewater surveillance, not just for COVID, but it's also good for the flu. It's also good for polio. 
uh, which is mm. becoming a bigger issue as we've talked about before in the United States because it's another virus that's spread through feces and it's very easy to sample in sewer systems. And that's how we understand that there are places in the United States where there is a lot of transmission of polio because of the wastewater surveillance. And this is going to be a big thing for the United States uh, this fall is trying to figure out what's going on because, again, the testing issue is really diminished. So wastewater surveillance is important. And there's a link to this. And Alex is going to put it in the show notes. And I would encourage all of you to go to look and see what, what's happening in wastewater, especially if you're traveling to an area or if, if it happens to be done in your community. I do want to say and just remind everybody that there's tons of research about the importance of COVID vaccines. They are life-saving and this is a really good example of the CDC of the death rates of all Americans and dropping them into four categories. Unvaccinated, which is the largest by far number of individuals that are dying from COVID still today in the United States. Our numbers, our case numbers are dropping a bit. But again, that doesn't mean anything because most people are not doing PCR tests. They're doing antigen tests. So it's a big deal. It is a big deal. The unvaccinated are still where people are dying. Um, primary vaccines only, which means they only got two shots. There's still a, a, a 0.92% uh, people are dying. Primary vaccines and one booster, it drops a lot, 0.72. And then if you have a primary vaccine and two boosters, then your death chances of dying, regardless of your age, is really small. So if you are older, I just want to say again, if you are older, if you have any illnesses at all, uh, you really want to seriously make sure you're vaccinated with as much as you can get by this fall. And this is another version of this. Uh, uh, this was done by Eric Topol, who's a fabulous physician who posts on a Substack. If you're interested in following Eric, he is great on Twitter as well as on his Substack. And in this particular uh, slide, you'll see exactly the same kind of information. You're 12 times more likely to die from COVID if you're not vaccinated. So it's a huge, huge deal. Um, and what's the impact of a booster? So many people might have gotten two shots, but maybe they haven't gotten a booster or they haven't considered the latest booster. Um, there's lots of really positive attributes of getting a booster. One, if you're over 50, you have a much less chance of dying or having a serious case or hospitalization. If you are um, over the age of 18, it even reduces your chances of being hospitalized. Uh, between the ages of six months and um, uh, if her babies, essentially, there's a much more modest impact, but it still does improve the chances of you having a serious outcome for a baby. We now know that it will reduce the chance of long COVID between 30 and 50%, which I think is huge. And long COVID is a gigantic thing that we've talked about many times before. It broadens your immunity to uh, all these other subvariants, which are now racing down the track. And it also uh, gives, uh, it's been established as being one of the safest vaccines ever done. There are very few short-term outcomes or, or negative outcomes from this. And primarily the main one is that the duration of the high effectiveness is relatively short between, um, you know, around uh, from the time you get it to about four months into the vaccine. There are side effects when you get the vaccine often where you actually are, um, you might feel like you are, are coming down with something that goes on for about 24 hours. There has been some uh, myocarditis in, uh, in men between the ages of 12 and 39. 
there's actually more myocarditis in getting COVID than getting a vaccine, but they're now learning ways to deal with that by with vaccines by spreading out the doses farther. Uh, and that um, that we can't vaccinate our way out of this. Eventually, um, that's part of the big concern is that we can't vaccinate our way out of it. So, mm-hmm. And there's no mucosal immunity, which means how you get this illness is it comes in your nose. And there's nothing that stops it at the nasal level. Um, a couple of things I just want to say uh, to all of us, and I know that we're running out of time yeah, here. For this winter, <laughs> yeah, for this winter, should you get a booster? The answer is yes. And absolutely, if you're over 50 or have any comorbidities, I cannot emphasize that enough. If you're under the age of 50, I think you have to look at your own personal risk tolerance and your own behaviors as to whether you decide it's worthwhile getting a booster or not. But for anybody who's over 50 and any comorbidities, get it. Alex, back to you. I got my boosters and I've got my flu shot. So I'm set for the winter. Good. Good. <laughs> if another one becomes available, I'll be taking that too. Great. So me too. I'm Regina, thank you so much uh, for sharing. There's lots of information here. Um, you know, I'm not quite sure if the horizon is looking dark or or gray. Muddy. How moment. about muddy? Yeah, yeah, muddy horizon right now. I think that's what I'll call today's show. The muddy there you horizon. Go. That's good. Muddy horizon. <laughs> Regina, thanks very much. I really appreciate you sharing all this information with us again. You're welcome. Great to be with you as always, Alex. And we'll see you in two weeks. Yay! Super excited. And everybody watching and listening, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.